0: Welcome to Coming Clean, the podcast dedicated to common sense environmental dialogue, environmental optimism, and real environmental solutions. This show is proudly powered by Orsted. Well, Congressman, Thing about you that people need to know is that you're the most fun member of Congress. Um, he's the only member of Congress that will show up to an event in a, on a moped, uh, and the only member of Congress that I know is as good as ski- at skiing and hiking as he is. But on top of being incredibly fun, which he said backstage is a really low bar, which is definitely true, um, he also is one of the most effective. And you just finished earlier this or yeah earlier this year your first term as uh, a member of Congress. And yet you passed multiple bills, which sounds like not that big of a deal. But in Congress, that's like a huge deal to pass like a single bill, let alone multiple in your first uh, couple of uh, you know, years as a, as a member of Congress. And I actually just want to give you a round of applause for being an effective member of Congress from the gate, because you, don't, you didn't have to do that. You could have been an AOC or a Marjorie Taylor Greene and just built up your name ID. And instead, you actually got things done. And I want to give you your recognition for that. Thank you. But so on top of having fun and being an effective lawmaker, you also are a lover of the outdoors and someone who prioritizes the environment in your personal life, but also you've taken that to Congress. Can you give the audience a little bit of a background of who you are and also how you came to this issue and why it's so important to you as
1: a young Republican member of Congress? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to make sure I clarify a couple things. You said I ride around on a moped back there. That's categorically false, but I've been accused of other things that have been complete lies. It's a Vespa <laughs> and that's Italian machinery. It is very fine. It's basically like a Porsche engine inside that. So, uh, but a six foot five guy driving around Capitol Hill on a, on a Vespa has actually created some, some waves, probably brought Congress together more than pretty much anything. Both Democrats and Republicans laugh at me when I buzz up on the Hill. And the press corps loves to try to get, to get shots of it. But um, I, uh, I, I actually, it's, it's funny you brought that up. It's the, most, it's the most efficient way to get around Washington, D.C., plus it's a very low emissions type of thing. So I can actually say I'm doing good instead of idling my car around, easy parking. And I know that every other staff director of every other member of Congress has at least Googled, like, well, if I, it seems like Blake's getting everywhere on time and, and very, very efficiently. I need to at least check in to see what one of these things costs. I won't see all the members actually driving around on them. Um, we did. We had an awesome first term. I have an amazing team. And you mentioned in, 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 in uh, introducing John Curtis too, I'll just get this part out of the way. Um, the, I patterned a lot of, of, of what I was trying to do after seeing John Curtis. And he gave me some, some advice. He said, work with committee. Work with committee really well. Be there for committee. Be there to do the hard work. And you'll get rewarded. And, and and committee, I loved the direction Natural Resources was going, uh, with Bruce Westerman. He is he he's a strong. I mean, he worked in the Forest Service. He knows more. I promise you about forestry, about the the the, the concept of conservation than than almost anybody in Congress. And uh, a real expert on this. And he's leading the Natural Resources Committee. And we were able to to get a lot of bills done. One of which was right at the right at the very end of the the first term. the great salt lake and it was probably one of the proudest things that that i was able to do with with our team is getting a bill done um senator romney ran it from the from the uh senate side and as we finished that it was um it's really satisfactory because it is such a tough place to exist for someone like me that came from the consulting world where i could go in and within six weeks digging into a project uh for a very large company actually make changes within that company to improve their outcomes. And, you know, I still have that. That's still who I am at the core and the the desire to do that. And in doing it in Congress is actually very difficult because it is about gridlock and it is about obstructionism a lot of times, but we've had a really successful first term. It's been a blast, uh, you know, and a lot to do. So thanks for that. Oh, and also clarify, I would also consider golf hiking, especially when you take a caddy or walk. So I do like the outdoors, but uh, skiing, golfing are definitely a part of that. I am not the world's best hiker, but I will go out with Citizens Climate Lobby and go on hikes and, and everything. I got little boys that um, they're starting to get ready to, to, to actually experience more of that and the camping and everything. So we're kind of gearing up. We got the stuff and, and I think in the next few years, we're gonna be able to do a lot more of it. Um, so within Utah, if you call yourself a skier, you better be good. So I clarify, I ski, I'm not a skier. I got buddies jumping off like 40 foot cliffs and everything. And uh, I'm, I'm more, uh, or just absolutely, you know, just want to respect what we have, learn from, learn from what we've done well, and, and build on that. Because I honestly think the, the thing that's missing right now in, in, in Congress, and it's been missing um, as a Republican voice for too long, and that's the other thing that I'll mention about uh, Representative Curtis, he made it easy for me to come in and follow his lead. And I have no qualms talking about anything related to climate the environment. Um, it, in a politically difficult situation that you would perceive, it's actually helped me and, 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 and earned credibility because um, we've had a lot of success over the last few years and the last decades and we need to build on that instead of fundamentally change the direction we're going and, and I think that's a lot of what I think that this group the folks in this room would agree on so thanks.
0: Completely agree. I mean what you're alluding to is something that yeah, I've also seen firsthand that ACC activists have seen firsthand, which is that the gridlock in DC is really hard to get things done on and you know, we hear about like the Inflation Reduction Act or we hear about these kind of massive spending bills that come together last minute. And it's like a conglomerate of everything into one. How hard does that make your job as a member of Congress? And, and what should people know about that process? Does it hold progress back on environmental issues or any other issue? And, and, and how does that process actually
1: unfold behind the scenes? Right. What you've seen in the last four years, of, so, since 2017, let's say, is actually fascinating. I call it once-in-a-generation legislating, where when you have the White House, House, and Senate in one-party control, you have this desire to have, you have all this pent-up legislative uh, uh, priorities that you wanted over the last several years, maybe even decades long, and you have this moment where you have the White House, House, and Senate, and you go big, right? And you've seen that in 2017, and you saw that in 2021, 2022. There are many Democrats that, we're very, very concerned about Build Back Better. I got, and and, and I, as I build relationships, folks on Problem Solvers Caucus and across the aisle, like, that's what we need more of, by the way, to building the relationships so we can actually dialogue. But I know for a fact that how many of them were having a really tough time with the amount of spending that was being proposed. Now, Democrats found themselves in the situation where they had the White House, House and Senate, and they kind of, they felt a little bit, rush because like oh we might not be able to keep the majority in the next election cycle we got to go big and and they did they went big and oftentimes that's misguided and so is is every angle of the inflation reduction act wrong right there are things in there that that, that go towards the right directive but when you put hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars and earmark that towards just ev tax credits like you're not getting at the root issue. Like my colleague, Lam- uh, Doug LaMalfa was talking about, we're not getting at baseload power in that case. That's where the issue is. That's what we have to be focused on. And if we don't focus on baseload power, love hearing all this talk about nuclear, love hearing talk about renewables, which you know, are, are, are gaining in their, their ability to provide um, you know, substance and power to our grid, but they're nothing, they haven't done nothing what like natural gas has been able to do over the course of the last 20 years and making America the cleanest, best labor standards and the leader in this. And we need to embrace what we've done and be able to talk about it. That's what I love about the conservative climate caucus and the work that John Curtis has done is he's made it easier for Republicans to talk about it. Because I get it. So I'm sympathetic to the Dems. Oftentimes I'm getting pushed so hard by their, they're their, their very, very active, primarily active in, 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 in um, you know, judicial matters and, 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 and legal matters. Um, which I think is wrong. It's a wrong way to, 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 to develop policy. It's just finding a lot of different lawsuits to do. And then I disagree with, with the hesitancy on, on the right to be able to, to talk about it more and be willing to, because the industries that we care about and that we want to support have actually been wanting this for a long, long time from, from Republicans. They want us to be leading this conversation. They want us involved. And so the hesitation was actually kind of, you know, not needed for the last last few years. And I'm just glad that, that uh, we've, we've gotten to a point where we can, we can really lead on this.
0: So, we've had a dichotomy of basically what we call kind of climate alarmism versus denial. And those are like the two things, those are basically the two options that people have seen. And that's one of the reasons that ACC's movement has to exist. Uh, it's not a great dichotomy for people to have a, an option on. And you're seeing that in Congress from a narrative standpoint. But behind the scenes, you're seeing a lot of people try to work together from their Democratic and Republican side. From your standpoint, what's your, I mean, as a young member of Congress who is actually seeing that people are willing to work together in kind of a common ground mindset, what's your vision for this issue going forward? How can we break through? Because like you said, maybe we're prioritizing the wrong things. Maybe we're kind of focused on the wrong narratives, but on forest management, on nuclear, on transmission, on just reliable baseload, there's so many opportunities to be doing things. How do you do that and break the noise in this country over the next couple of decades, especially in a room full of leaders that you know, hopefully will be in positions like yours
1: soon? Yeah, historically, I love the way you phrase that. There is over-sensationalism and complete denialism. And let's just take an example of what we've seen in the last few weeks. Part of, uh, obviously, the most well-known piece of legislation this year was the work going into the Fiscal Responsibility Act, the, the debt ceiling bill. Like what was one of the key factors of that that got legislators on board with it. It was, the, it was the permitting process. It was the permitting reform from NEPA. 40 years we've had NEPA you know, out there established from the, from the get-go to you know, stop bad things from happening. Well, as it exists and we just continue to let these regulations you know, stay the status quo, it's actually keeping good things from happening. Rocky Mountain Power, for those Utahns that are in the room, Rocky Mountain Power, and I guess Pacific Core, they they have six states across the Western United States. Half of them are blue states. Half of them are red states. Like 30% of their portfolio is renewable technology. And the thing that's hampering its ability to actually grow that into more is the fact they can't build transmission lines because of what NEPA blocks that would take 10 plus years to get out of the way. So we didn't solve everything with, with that bill. We didn't solve everything on the budget side, absolutely. But this was an awesome step in the right direction. And you got you got to see you know uh, Democrats oppose it for the reason, oh it cuts too much funding it does this and that um, and they may not want any permitting reform because they're 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 overly sensationalized on this issue and overly scared and then um, of course I agree with my colleagues that didn't think it did enough for the budget I'm sit on budget and ways and means I know what the real reality of our of our deficits are but this was a great step and it incorporated things like that because uh, once you get things legislatively. Uh, one of the best ways I've heard someone explain it is once it becomes a big enough piece of the word cloud then you've got momentum and permitting reform became a huge piece of that word cloud you know what a word cloud is when you do marketing research and you kind of test like the awareness of, of an issue it's like what's the most mentioned most often that's what we're seeing with permitting reform is it's now such a big topic and um, there are already things lined up to take us to the next level and get things going in the right direction and, and you're seeing a really strong bipartisan approach <laughs> Yeah, it's sorely needed
0: because none of, these, no, none of the, the policies in that big you know, spending bill that um, you know, Joe Biden and the Democrats put together on in the Inflation Reduction Act, none of those things could be implemented if the permitting process was even reformed in the first place. So Democrats or Republicans should want that. And, and they, you know, outside of the extremes, you guys work together to, to find some common ground on that. There are a couple of really important local issues that you focus a lot on, uh, one of which is having international uh, coverage right now, which is the forest fire issue. I think we all have over the last few weeks have been paying attention to that. And if you're on the East Coast or in the Midwest, you've been clouded with smoke and it's June. Uh, That's not normal. And there's some people who say that it was arson. There's some people who say that it was called climate change. There's some people who say that it's forest management. You have led the effort in Congress to take action on forest management in a way that really has gone undervalued, in my opinion. But I think now, because it has a spotlight on it, you've got a real opportunity to push some of these things. Uh, you, you have a chance to push some of these things across the finish line. Can you tell us, just from a high level, what, what's going wrong that is causing these forest fires to just continue to engulf our country? And out west, we're, we're used to that uh, at this
1: point. What's going wrong? And what are your efforts to, to start to address that? So we're coming off of a very strong water year, which is awesome. That should, you know, should get a standing applause. Thank you for the, all the snow. (laughs) But, um, so what's going wrong is our inability to recognize there's long-term issues and short-term issues, and they both can exist and you can deal with both of them, but one doesn't have to preclude the other, right? If, if, If a warming climate could absolutely be a part of some of the, the, the long-term issues with respect to, to forest fires, but also is the inability to manage them properly. Look, we don't, we don't, we live in a, we live in an age now where forest, major forest fires have been started because of gender reveal parties for someone's kid. It happened in California and we suck in that air and that smoke in, in Utah. We're sick of it. Right? Like, so people are impacting our forests um, and, we have to be willing to take what we've done well. And I think if I had one theme for the only thing I wanted to communicate today is that success can breed more success. And um, we've got good models on how to go about doing this that the fear of getting involved and in, in, in managing our forest better, doing control burns and breaks and all the things that, that exist that, that is above my pay grade, but I know there's people in this room, part of the Utah group, uh, that, that's involved with this, Reg Johnson's I know here and, and many others would be here. Like They have the most sincere desire to do well in this industry. So our bill called the Firesheds Act um, is my legislative, my legislative director, he's really passionate about this. And if there could be one thing that we got done this year, this would be, this would be it. And we're seeing obviously how important it is with the entire eastern seaboard being impacted by uh, some forest north of us. Um, fire sheds act will do two major things one it allows for you to 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 to, within a forest the service area to find the most catastrophic risk the potential of the worst forest fire and be able to leverage the best data and technology that we have to be able to to go in and, and and help mitigate any potential right within a forest network you're gonna. Most of the risk exists within like 10% of that uh, of that entire network, and um, this this bill would allow for you to be able to go in and, and and address that, and at the same time, help reduce the regulatory burden for states to enter into shared stewardship agreements. So it creates a better partnership with the state and federal uh, individuals that are and the stakeholders that are involved. Uh, Utah has a really good relationship with our federal counterparts. And t- to some degree, that's pretty unique given a strong conservative red state with a um, currently a Democrat administration with Secretary Vilsack here just not long ago with our governor signing in an additional shared stewardship agreement. These are partnerships that allow us to work together. They set the stage for the areas that we wanna focus on and what we do. And the, the thing that, that, that I like to, to highlight is the relationships that we have with individuals this, in, within this group of, of of stakeholders? That's key to actually improving the way we address forest fires, and I and I think that goes undervalued in thinking, oh, it's just a straight policy issue. No, it's the ability to work together. And so this bill would actually show other states, hey, look to Utah, look to some look look to some other areas that have had success and build on that. And you, your state, you you guys could your, your state could actually do it too. So. That's kind of the, that's one key legislative thing that we're pushing for right now that I know would have a positive impact. Utah doesn't have, you know, it's, it's not like Utah hasn't never had a forest fire isn't perfect. We are subject to it too. And this year's going to be a little bit different because we've had so much water. We're going to have shrubs that are a lot higher. And so the risk is going to be, um, to some degree, even greater in some areas. So we have to be willing to always work together and find opportunities. And that's kind of what our legislation is trying to do.
0: What I love about that is it's taking that local approach and like you said, trying to replicate it and and show that if it's working in some place that it's, it could work in another. And I mean it's true if you look at the wildfire statistics, the states that have had the worst either by land mass or per, like per per acre, uh, California, Alaska, Washington, some really bad states, Utah's done a great job of that. Sometimes you look I, I, well, maybe this is just me as, a, as like a policy nerd sometimes, but like looking at a bill and thinking, this seems so common sense, you've got a ton of Republicans and Democrats behind it, but yet it keeps being delayed and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And then it doesn't get done, or maybe it does years later. Can you talk about, like, as a legislator, like, why does that happen? And how can you change that from happening? If something is so unanimous and it's getting, you know, so much support, why doesn't it just get done?
1: So, on a smaller bill like Firesheds Act, it's not a monumental piece of legislation. It has very little uh, budgetary implications, too, which is a good thing because it it can't get opposed for 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 cost purposes. Um, it's a small piece of what's going to end up being a larger package. So this goes both ways on why it's so hard to get things done in Washington. Something that's popular is good enough to get added to um, a bill that's going to be run by the Republicans. And we're going to get fire sheds done. It's bipartisan. It's got bipartisan support, and it's going to get put through committee and we'll get voted on. We'll get voted out of the House floor. Um, it's pretty simplistic. Good job. We got it done in the House. The Senate is a whole nother ball of wax. It requires a 60-vote threshold in the Senate. All right, you have to have. Usually, right now it's a 40-51-59. 50, sorry, 49-51 split. You have to have nine Republicans come on board for a, a priority, or you have to make it very bipartisan and sort of buck the, the the, the fringes of both parties. And and there'll be things like that that could, that come out. But that's typically on the must-pass legislation. This isn't a must-pass piece of legislation. This isn't a debt ceiling. This isn't an appropriations bill or like this year, the FAA reauthorization, that's a must pass bill. Um, There are things that have to get done. And we tend to just in Congress focus on that. And it's hard to necessarily move the smaller stuff. And on the opposite side, the things that are very popular, well, they get, they're like, oh, that's going to pass. Like, we're going to be able to pass this bill because it's very popular. Let's add on a few more other pieces of controversial things. And then it starts to create division. And that is leadership's prerogative sometimes it's like, well, we got to get this this stuff done. We're going to get this passed. And then you start to see people back off of the legislation. So um, if Congress could get more to kind of the way I know Utah runs their legislative process and and keeping it more single topic, single issue votes, it would be a dream for me. It's it's it's, it's a we're a long ways from that. But a part of our, our Republican majority work, we're, we're, we're kind of pushing that. Fire sheds looks like it has a good out- outlook. It was po- it was good. It was the same exact bill under Democrat lead last year, and you know, it just didn't make the the progress. We're gonna we're gonna get a, be able to get it through. Um, very confident we'll be able to get it through the House this year, and we'll see if we can do anything in the Senate. It
0: kind of sounds like Congress, at least these days, is like high schoolers procrastinating. Maybe more junior high. Junior high. I mean, you're basically saying that nothing menial. You know, or trivial in terms of the size and scope of the bill will ever get done until the last minute, until some big thing has to happen, and that no one's really going to pay attention to getting anything done until the last second. And should I mean, I guess this is deviating from the environmental side of things, but but it it has to do with this conversation and the policy. Is that an effective way to legislate? And how do we get out of that?
1: No, let me take it out of the context of environment and climate and everything. Medicare Part A runs insolvent in 2032. Like the, the trust fund that funds Medicare Part A runs insolvent in 2032. And um, right now it's just being used, Medicare and Social Security are just being used as a political ploy. And it's just going to be constantly leveraged to, all oh, Republicans want to gut your Social Security. No, not the case at all. Um, hey, Republicans, even President Trump's out there saying, like, hey, Republicans, don't touch Social Security because that's going to play well with elderly voters. And so the, impo- the big important things get, become wedge issues. Immigration has been, been a wedge issue. Uh, debt largely has been a, a wedge issue. My biggest passion, debt and deficit, by far the biggest thing I want to be back there working on. And um, we can either choose in the next decade to truly go after and strengthen these programs and figure out how we can, we can do X, Y, or Z. And there is lots of good bipartisan approaches to addressing Social Security and Medicare. But we'll see if, uh, if, the, if, if, if that happens or if we wait till the 11th hour and we make the changes, we make it one hard vote, and hopefully you survive your next election instead of the potential of it being very difficult politically. Um, and so that's, that's kind of why. The debt ceiling, you have to be like, you know, President Biden early on. Oh, let's talk. Let's do the debt ceiling. And then for three months, he won't ever meet. And we finally had to pass a bill. Then force a conversation, and then Secretary Yellen moved the date up. Then it's like, oh, we got to meet. We got two weeks, and let's go after it really hard. And then there was good effort on both sides to actually find where this was going to work out. Um, but that should have been done three months prior. And we just continue to push it to the, uh, the, that moment of uh, brinkmanship and, because it's sometimes easier politically. That's just the reality, which it, is the unfortunate part.
0: And that's why relying on the federal government... <laughs> To solve all these challenges is not always the best idea. Um, and it's a perfect example of why local action, state action, corporate action, you know, community-led action is such a huge part of this process.
1: We passed our Great Salt Lake Bill with help of the Audubon Society, right? And, and, and industry and, and all these different stakeholders. Like, it was, it was such a great collaboration of people. And that would be the thing that I would say to you all, that matters. And your involvement and making sure that not only just voting and being involved in primaries are important, but truly getting involved in organizations that can have a direct link to, um, to, to, to Congress. I was given an award this year by the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. Joe Manchin and I were given this award this year. It was a huge honor. Um, we had been successful my first term. Like we had, t- we had talked about, we got a lot of bills done, sportsman issues that are strongly, you know, that's where a lot of the funding comes from to like the Pittman, the Pittman- Robertson. And, and a lot of the conservation efforts, I would say that hunters and anglers and folks like that are some of the original conservationists. And that's still a very bipartisan issue. You get things done there. Made a Great American Outdoors Act. It's got some implementation problems and we're a little concerned that Utah doesn't necessarily get reflected in in where the funding goes and we're going to keep pushing on that. But like you saw Congress kind of come together for some of that too.
0: Well, whether it's the Great Salt Lake, which you work on a lot or forest fires or Uh, the importance of the China conversation in this, the the critical minerals, all the different parts that you've been active on. I want to thank you for your leadership on that, because you're the one who's trying to push the conversation past the witching hour and get things done before then. Uh, You're kind of doing that in a lonely way, just like you're on your Vespa in a lonely way. But hopefully, just like the Vespa, more members of Congress join you soon. Thank you so much for your leadership, Congressman, and thanks for being here.
1: Appreciate what all you do. Thank you. And before we
0: jump, the Coming Clean podcast is grateful to be powered by Orsted, a wonderful company strengthening America's energy security with reliable and domestic clean energy. Through its integrated renewable energy solutions, Orsted is creating American jobs, investing in American communities, and driving American innovation, all while preserving our country's natural habitats. A clean energy future truly connects us all, and Orsted is helping lead the charge. To learn more, visit us.orsted.com.